And today we're going to talk about spiritual maturity. And it's fascinating that if you look through the Bible, that every single book of the Bible, every teacher of the Word of God, talks about being born again and then spiritual maturity. You go through the book of James and he talks about spiritual maturity. So somewhere I think they want us to understand that we need to grow up. Yes? And let me just say this, that being mature doesn't come by age or by gray hair. We look at grey hair on people's heads and we go, that's a wise man, that's a wise woman, isn't it? But that's not where maturity comes from. Is it true? Maturity comes from the acceptance of your responsibility. Think of that one. The acceptance of your responsibility. As you are born as a baby and you grow up, You know what happens? We want to get freedom, isn't it? We live in our mom's and dad's homes and we say, I can't wait for the day that I get out of this house. I'll be free. But guess what you get? As freedom comes in from those, responsibility starts sitting on on, on your shoulders. You see a lovely girl, you get married, there's responsibility right there. The problem today in the world is, is that so people are forfeiting their responsibilities. And I see it through all of the age groups. You might have an 18-year-old who's more mature than a 40-year-old. It's by accepting responsibilities. We start getting children, and there's another load of responsibility. We've got a job, there's another load of responsibility. This is what we're living in. But listen, friends, responsibility shouldn't be a weight on your shoulders. It should be a blessing from God. If you think about it, God made us to work. So when that responsibility comes upon your shoulders, it's a blessing from God. It is just how you perceive it that's going to determine the outcome. And this is what it's all about. Again, as we turn in in the Bible to 1 John, we see that he is now going to talk to us about maturity. But let's just think about what he's already told us. He said that God is light. He said that God is love and that God is life. All of these things, he now expect you and I to have that understanding in our minds, that we live by that. We also saw that he came to us and he said that if we confess our sins, what will happen? That God is faithful. He will forgive us our sins and he will cleanse us from our unrighteousness. It doesn't mean that when you come to the cross, you tick the box and you say, there I go. Yeah, I've made it. No, that's not how it works. Therein comes a responsibility upon your shoulder now to grow. To be nurtured by the Word of God. To be nurtured by really good Christian brothers and sisters around you. We have to grow, church. Brother, sister, we have to grow in the Word. You can no longer just say, I'm a Christian, and sit back and say, I'm going to be in heaven one day. No, no, you have to start reading. Here we talk about spiritual maturity and John brilliantly is going to show us there's three levels here. Now some people say there's five, some people say there's six and seven. I love it simple, like John puts it. He's going to talk to little children and then he's going to talk to young men and then he's going to talk to fathers Now I know you're sitting here and you say, look, I am a female. There's no females on the board there. But when he talks about little children, young men and fathers, he's talking to you sisters as well. It's not a chauvinist move from him. 
No, it's not. All he's depicting is different stages in maturity. Have you noticed that there's no teenagers up there? You see, in God's family, there's no teenagers in God's family. There's either little children, young men, or fathers. You know what teenagers say? That, I, don't, I wonder where that word comes from. Who installed it? Because then they say, it's a teenager, it's a rebellious teenager. Have you heard that concept? A rebellious teenager. God doesn't have rebellious teenagers. As if they're going to be rebelling and then coming. No, no. There's these three stages He's going to talk to us today. From 1 John chapter 2, verse 12 to 14. Now let's get right into it. In verse 12 He says, I write to you little children... Because your sins are forgiven you for His name's sake. And you are allowed to shout hallelujah. Your sins are you forgiven for His name's sake. In verse 13 it says, I write to you fathers, because you have known Him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men, because you've overcome the wicked one. You see, who's the wicked one? Satan, Lucifer, he says you've overcome him and I'm writing to you. It tells me that he needs to be an overcomer. Now you brilliantly this morning overcame the weather. But this is a different type of overcoming. He says I write to you little children. Again he mentions them because you have known the Father. For the last few weeks we were preaching about knowing him. Remember that? How well do you know the Father? This is a test of Christianity. This is the series we are part of. Where do you find yourself in this growth pattern here? Do you find yourself as a little child, and we're going to look into that, or do you find you as a young man or a father? This is what you need to ask yourself, because he addresses those three areas. In verse 14 he says again, I have written to you fathers because you have passed and known him who is from the beginning. I have written to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the wicked one. How wonderful is the word of the Lord. You know, I can just go now and we can drink coffee and eat. And you've heard the Word of God. You need to treasure the Word of God. We're living in a generation where the Word of God is being phased out of our lives, out of schools, out of families, out of everything, out of workplaces. A generation will grow up and they will not understand if you say, let's open up in John. They won't understand that. They've got a different Bible they are living by. We need to absolutely treasure the Word of God. Let's thank the Lord for His Word. Father, I thank You now. As your Lord, just reading these words, Father, makes me feel so small. Because it's Your words. The Word is living. It is powerful. It is sharper than a two-edged sword. And it cuts between bone and marrow, spirit and soul. Use the sword today to cut in your hearts, Lord. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So he's talking about three here. He's talking about little children, young men, and fathers. Twice he addresses all three of those areas. Twice. 
And all we're going to do this morning, it's not going to take long, it's a short message today. I know it's cold out there and I know you want to get back into those warm duvet covers and everything. I know it's calling out for you, but, but this is what he addresses this morning, these three areas. And this is where we find ourselves often time. First of all, he talks about young children, little children. He says there in verse 12, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. How wonderful is it to have little children? We all had them, didn't we? And as they grow up, they are so attentive about all of the things around them. They want to learn about every single thing in life. They learn in various ways. <clears throat> they sit at your feet and they listen to you. They go a little bit further and they touch. And sometimes you say to them, do not touch that. And what happens? They touch it anyway. They touch it. I remember when Gavin was growing up in the house and Gavin and Richard was still small and I, I had a braai, not a barbecue. Barbecue is where you put the gas on. A braai is where you put the coals out there the, and, and the fire burns. And, we, and I was standing there and barbecuing and Gavin, is, oh, he just wanted to touch that thing because it's red hot. He just always come close, and you know, with little children. And I told him specifically, General, I said, do not touch, it's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt you. And as I'm working there, one of the coals dropped out on the floor, red hot. And the first instinct of this boy went, I want to just pick it up, and he went and he picked it up. Well, I guess he's never going to do that same thing over again, is he? <laughs> But this is the thing about little children. Sometimes we learn by experience and sometimes by listening and so on. But the big thing here for me that we need to concentrate on is he says to them two things to these little children. He says, your sins are you forgiven. First of all, children, the word that he uses here for children is the word technion. Technion. That's the Greek word. And technion means it's an emphasis on a child's relationship of dependence on the parent. That is what that word means. And we know our children. When they grow up, they are so dependent on us, aren't they? Where we go, they go. What we do, they do. We nurture them. And this is the word he uses there. It's important to know this. And then he says to them two things. First of all, he says to them, your sins are you forgiven. How wonderful is it? Now, obviously he's not talking about little children. He's talking about us. When we are born again, we come into the kingdom of God as little babies. We are born again. It doesn't matter how old you are. You could be a 40-year-old. You could be a 30-year-old. You could be an 18-year-old. But when you come to the cross of Christ... And He saves your soul. That moment you confess your sin and you accept Jesus Lord as your Savior and He saves your soul, you're a little baby in His kingdom. And the churches are sitting full of little babies. And they grow up and they crawl around and they mess a little bit. And we clean them up and we point them in the right direction. And then soon they get up onto their feet and they walk around. But this is the most important thing for little children to understand if you are young in the kingdom of God is that your sins are you forgiven. That is so wonderful. That is the power of being this. You see, we each begin our Christian life as little children. And forgiveness is a gift of God. It's not man's achievement. I want you to understand this. It's nothing that you and I did good 
that made God to forgive you. We fall short. The Bible says that our best works is like rags. Do you know rags? You know, I've been in, in Sydney this week and you walk around and you see these poor homeless people sitting there and some of them are sitting there in rags. And you feel you want to take them into a tailored shop and you want to get them to put on new clothes there. Friends, you and I were like that, sitting there in our sins who, who was stripping our rags and he was torn apart, dirty and filthy with sin. And he came. And you know what he gave us? A rope of righteousness. <clears throat> White and clean. He gives us that. It's not something that you and I can work for. Otherwise... It, the church will only have been for the best. That's what the world is, isn't it? It's only the best who makes it to the top. The most clever, the most uh, fortunate who goes to the top. God's kingdom is the other way around. And this is what we see. Forgiveness is a gift of God. And God's forgiveness does not come by degrees. I put that down there specifically. Because we find sometimes people say, Oh, you know, brother, I've been saved now for 20 years. How long have you been saved for? Oh, only five years. Oh, I'm on a different level than you. I'm in a different degree than you. And you find people like that. Amazingly, you find people like that. You know what? This is what I say when I started preaching. That maturity comes by the acceptance of responsibility. I find in churches that there are churchgoers who've been in church for 20, 30, 40 years who still haven't accepted the responsibility of the full load of God's Word upon their lives. So it doesn't matter whether you are 30 years sitting in church and somebody's there for 5 years. God hasn't got degrees. Of forgiveness, different levels. You are forgiven the same as I am forgiven. And that is so wonderful. So that's the first thing that all children need to understand. So if you classify yourself as a little child still this morning, the good news is that your sins are you forgiven. And you can rejoice in that. And you should. You should rejoice in that. The second thing is, you know, look at Psalm 32 first of all. Psalm 32 verse 1, he says, listen to the psalmist, he says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. I can just think of this psalmist sit there and he thinks about his sin. And he uses the name blessed. In Hebrew, if you translate that word blessed in English, if you translate it, another word for that is happy. Happy is the man whose transgressions is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Remember, he's writing in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, they had to kill an animal and cover their sins. And he had to do this every single year. Every single year, they had to kill an animal to cover their sins. And then they're happy. And then they're not so happy, going until they kill that animal again. But here we sit this morning, and we have the Lamb of God who died for our sins once and for all. Think about that. And here he says, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Little children, your sins are you forgiven. Those are the most beautiful words that you can hear. In fact, if you ask me this morning, what is the biggest miracle that you saw? What is the biggest miracle that I've seen with mine own eyes? 
Brothers and sisters, I was there when somebody accepted the Lord. I was there. Not once, many times. And you know what's the biggest miracle? When the Spirit of God comes and He lives in a man. Wow! That's the biggest miracle of all. We don't have to do funny things with the Holy Spirit. Trying to heap up people's emotions. All you need to do is to go out to people and share the gospel. That's all. And you'll see a miracle. You, you know what? Listen to me. This miracle saves families. I've seen it with my own eyes. <clears throat> Where a father was a drunkard. Come home and an aggressive person and the Lord saved his soul. He saves the whole family's soul. We were sitting one night in New Zealand until the, until the midnight hours. And after 12, after 12, a father gives his heart to the Lord. He calls out to God. He repents. And his teenage son walks in. He says, if my father do it, I will do it as well. Can you please pray for me as well? And go down on his knees and, and accepting the Lord. And the whole family get baptized. That's a miracle, friend. That is what I'm getting excited about. Seeing little children and you can tell them. Not according to what you say, not according to a five minute prayer, but to them accepting that they are sinners and seeing sin as God sees it. And this is it. The Word of God says, He uses this word, He hates sin. God hates sin. And so we should hate sin. This is what it's all about. The Word of God is powerful. Can you, can you feel, can you just for a moment feel this man's heart in Psalms? Can you, can you just read those words with the passion that I reckon he wrote it down with? I don't thought he sit there and he goes, Oh, you know, life is so difficult. Let me just write down these words here. Bless it is. No, no, no. I reckon when he understood the, the impact of his sins is forgiven, that he said, Blessed is he whose transgressions is forgiven. How wonderful is that? How marvelous. Marvelous, marvelous grace of our Lord. Since I you forgiven, he says to these technion. And then he says, in his name's sake. This is so important. In his name's sake. The reason for forgiveness are not found in us, but in God. In whose name's sake? First of all, in God's name's sake. Why? That God saw the sin stain on this world. And then what did he do? He sent appropriation for us. The word appropriation means that Jesus Christ came and He pleased the Father on our behalf. Think about that. He sent that. So if you hear in His name's sake, it's in God's name's sake. But let's take it one step further where we can touch it now. It's in the name's sake of Jesus Christ Himself. When He came to this earth and He went all the way to the cross for you and for me. Little children. And you know what about a little child? I saw them as they grew up. I've raised three of them. And I love children. We looked after them. You know about little children? They're inquisitive and everything, but they trust you. They trust you as their parent, don't they? And it's so wonderful, dear friends, that we can trust our Heavenly Father. I better move on. You see in 1 John chapter 12 verse 2, he writes again, uh, verse 13, sorry, again to these little children. He says, I write to you little children. Why? Because you have known the Father. You see, you've got to trust somebody. 
And think about this little child when they come to the cross. Who do they know? They just know that Jesus saves. That's the message. It's as simple as that. You can go to the world and say to the world, Jesus saves. Oh, what about, what about these problems in my life? Jesus saves. What about my family? Jesus saves. What about this? Jesus saves. What about my work? Jesus saves. But the world don't want to hear it. This is why he writes to little children here. It's his children. It's our children. It's God's children. He writes to them here. He says, I write to you again that uh, because you've known the Father. Now, interestingly enough, if you look at this, when he writes down the word children here, he doesn't use the word technion. He used the word technion here in this verse. I write to you a little technion. And remember when I said the emphasis on a child's relationship of dependence to the parent. But here he uses the word paidon. I just find it fascinating. I mean, that's how I love to read the word of God, okay? Just listen me out here because there's blessings in this. He uses the word paidon, which means it's an emphasis on a child's immaturity and a need for instruction. Little children need instruction, yes? They are immature little children. They get upset about every single thing that pushes them. That's a little children. It's characteristics of little children. Have you seen little children when they're all together and there's only one yellow crayon? <laughs> and all of a sudden, all five children decide, I need to use the yellow crayon. And then it upsets the whole bunch. And soon, who needs to step in and solve this out? Another little child? Mom or dad. No. Mom or dad needs to step in. And then how do you do it then? If you're going to give it to A, A is favorite. Oh, mom, you always give it to him. Am I right or wrong? <laughs> who said that? Who said break the crayon? You see, that's wisdom. <laughs> You go, let's just see this five, break it up. You're all going to get a small little piece. There you go. But you know what's happening then? Oh, there's only one brown. <laughs> so you have to think forward now. You have to five, buy, buy five packs. Generally, you've got four daughters, yeah? Oh, three daughters, sorry. I'm just thinking four in the front row. But that's the thing, isn't it? You have to, you have to buy threes. Gavin and Richard grew up, Sharia's more, more privileged. He's a, a, lonely, a lone child in our family now. But when Gavin and Richard was there, whenever we buy something for Gavin, you buy the same for Richard. Yes? <laughs> Four boys, you would understand. But you see, it's because of the immaturity. They can't sit there and go, okay, I'll tell you what, I'll use the brown while you use the yellow, okay? And then we'll swap over later on. No, no, for a little child, that belongs to them. That's how they think. The moment I take it, it's mine. Yes. And I'm not going to give it to anybody. It's only mom that needs to come and take it, and then... I've got a second weapon up my sleeve. It's called a T-A-N-T-R-M. Tantrum. I'm going to fall down. I'm going to kick as hard as I can. And I'm going to shout as loud as I can. Yes? We're living in the same world. Praise the Lord. Did you know there's little children like that in the church as well? Small little thing upsets them. Small little yellow crayons upsets them. 
And then they want the pastor to step in and go, you come and tell us now what. That's a difficult situation because if you say, you write, oh, this one blows up. If you say, that one's, oh, that one blows up. What do you do? You can't break it up in two. Little children. And he uses the word here, paideon. The emphasis here is on immaturity. And, and see how brilliantly he uses. Uh, you know, I often ask this, and you go, John, why do you go deep into the Greek? And why? It doesn't make sense. We just read it, and he uses the word children. It's English. It's easy. You have to understand when they write this. You see, when he writes this, and he uses the word technion, I ask the question, why didn't he use the word technion there? It's because of the makeup of the sentence, friends. Look at this. He says, because you know the Father. You see, they are immature and they are needing instruction. And who's going to give it to them? The Father. And the Mother. I want to understand that when he says Father, he talks about both of you, okay? Where do they get their information from? It's from the Word of God. It's from the Word of God. The Father gives the instruction to the child. It is the father and mother's responsibility to take your children from immaturity to maturity. They've got some growing to do themselves. I get that. But you guide them along the way. Now, if you are still immature, where are you going to take them? You, you get where I'm going? Now, now I'm talking at, at family level, but I want you to see church level here as well. Churches like us, we need young men and we need fathers in our church who can guide people. You know, people say, oh, no, I just come to church, I've got nothing to do, I want to do something for the Lord. Do you realize that just by coming to church is part of your ministry? I said it when my children grew up in the church. You know, they always say the pastor's children are the most naughtiest ones. They always say that, don't they? And I've got to come back on that, then I say, yeah, because they play with the naughty children. No, it's not true. <laughs> but, but the thing is, friends, when I said, when my children grew up, every single parent walks through those doors is an example to my children. And so am I to your children. You see the responsibility again? And, and here's the thing about little children. I remember that man. When they grow up and they're that small, their dad is the best in the world. He's the most cleverest in the world. He's the best in the world. If they walk out there on the stage to perform and there sits a hundred people in front of them, who are they looking for? They're looking for mom and dad. Where's mom and dad? And, and you know the amazing, I love it to go to these shows. You know when little children go up on the stage. And mom and dad can sit there in that side. And, and the teacher said, speak to the room. Look in front of you. But these little ones, they come out and they go, where's mom and dad? Where's mom and dad? Where's, there they are. And then they, they give the performance to mom and dad. <laughs> little children, I love them. God loves little children, dear friends. But here is the amazing fact. I don't know what it is. As these little children grow up into, into our worlds, into teenagers, I don't know what happened, Glenn, but all of a sudden we become dumb. <laughs> I know that. Okay, I didn't know that you know, but I thought I knew. I know. And as they grow up, they, you, you're not the most favorite anymore. It's only when they grow older that they start seeking your advice again. How wonderful it is. I need to hurry on. I can talk about little children for so long. The church has got little children and two advices or two things he said about them. First of all, your sins are you forgiven for his name's sake. And secondly, you've known the Father. Then we come to young men. 
Look at this. Young men. Oh, the strong, isn't it? Blood is pumping through their veins. You see, he writes to me in verse 13. He says, I write to you, young men, because you've overcome the wicked one. You see, these young men and women are engaged in the battle with the wicked one. That's what that scripture says. If we think about war, when we have war, we don't send our little children into war, do we? It is disastrous. You can look at the Vietnam War, what happened there. You can look at the German War, what happened there. First World War, Second World War. Whenever they send these little children in, they are slaughtered. Listen, that's not what you do. Who do you send? You send these young men into the wars. And this is what happens in the same way in our church. These are the ones that you send in. Young men here are the front line of God's work amongst His people. You see, friends, what John is showing us. You start as a little child, but you need to to grow into young men and women. How do you do that? You start studying your word. You start living this life. You mature in the word of God, in the family of God. And they overcome the wicked one. You see, and this is this effort here is the greatest cost, and you need to be ready for that. We don't send the old people into war, do we? The old fathers. No, it's the young people. And, and this is what he tells them. He says, you've overcome the wicked one. There's only one way that you can overcome the wicked one. By the word of your testimony and the word of God. And he says it there. He says it in the next one. In verse 14, secondly, he writes to them. He says, I've written to you, young men, because you are strong. You see this? And the word of God abides with you. Thank you, brother. In you. It doesn't abide with you. This is with me. This is with me. Wherever I walk, I walk around with the Bible and I go, what do you say? Man, I, I'm, I'm, with the, I'm with the Word. The Word is with me. But then what happens? Somebody comes and they take it out of my hands and I'm walking around now. Now I'm Bibleless. The Word of God's not with me anymore. That's that word that he says. And the Word abides in you. Can you see he uses the word abides? It means it's a dwelling place. It lives in you. And if you look at Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12, it says the word is living. So it's living inside of you. It's alive inside of you. And then it's going to come out alive. So powerful. So wonderful. I don't know if you know about Corrie ten Boom. But she wrote a book, His Hiding Place. And I read the book. It's, it's really interesting. Um, just to read about a life story. And, and they say that when, when the Germans came into Poland, they rounded them all up. And there was Corrie ten Boom's father and the whole family. Dad was old now, as he said. And they grabbed them all, put them onto a truck and went into a gymnasium. And all went into the gymnasium. And they sat there and waited their fate. And there's a group sitting around her father, and she sits there. And she said, her father said, right, it's around time. Let's open up the Word of God and read from the Word of God. But the people looked around. They, there's no Bibles around. They thought he was really getting a little bit off his, off his head there now. And he said, today we will read, and I couldn't remember the passage, let's say John chapter 1 verse 1. And he started quoting the Word of God, word, word, word. You see, with that man, the Word of God was living inside of him. This is how we need to live this. What are you this morning? Are you little children still? We love you. 
as we love our little children. But we want you to become young men. Men and women for the word of God. Let the word of God live inside of you. And you have overcome the wicked one. You see, the word strong there and the word of God abides. The word of God will make you strong. Nothing else. The word of God makes you strong. And faith cometh by hearing. And hearing by what? The preaching of the word. Friends, I honestly, I, w- I want to be honest to you now. I, it's a privilege for me to stand here and to preach for you. Think about this. You got out of your beds this morning in a, in, in a windy, cold, what the world calls miserable, I don't. But you got out, you got in your cars, you came over here. And I get a privilege to share to you. Am I going to tell you about a book I've read about this, about a story over there? You know what's going to you know what's going to lift you it's the word of God. You know what's going to make you strong the word of God. And this is what is so wonderful about them. So two things there. First of all they've overcome the wicked one, but how did they overcome the wicked one? Only one way, the word of God. You know with Jesus when he went in into the wilderness, who met him there? The devil. You remember? And what did he say? He said, you're hungry, you fasted for 40 days. There's some rocks over there. Make bread out of them. Who believes Jesus could have done it? <clears throat> he was God. You know what, if, I, if, if it were of me, and I got that opportunity, I would have walked up there and said, oh, you know, I'm hungry. It's only one loaf of bread. It's going to help me. God will understand. You know, that's how people sin these days. Oh, God will understand. I I reckon, Andre, I would have said bread. It's because it's me. I'm a fail. I'll fail at that. But Jesus Christ, no, no. He was strong in what? In the Word. He said, it is written. And then he quoted the Word of God. He took him onto a high mountain. He said to him, look at all of the kingdoms out there. Look at all of them. Just bow. Just bow to me. And I'll give you all of those kingdoms. Listen, I wonder if I come to you and I say, I'll give you a hundred million dollars now if you renounce Jesus Christ and you accept Lucifer as your savior. How many people will do that? This is, the, look, and, and it's a small, I'm, I'm, I'm just being down. All the kingdoms of the world, you can rule the whole planet, man. You know what people will say? Oh, God will understand. Oh, I'm just going to bow my knee, but in my heart, I'm still going to worship God. No, he said, it is written. This is what Jesus said. He brought him to the pinnacle on the top. On the, to listen to this. Because do you know that Lucifer knows the Bible as well, better than you and I? He knows him, in and out. He goes there on the top and he says, just jump. Just jump off the pinnacle. It was a high, steep fall. He says, and the word says, this is what Lucifer says. He says, and the angels will save you and you will not die. You will, you will, the angels will catch you. And what did Jesus say again? He said, the word, it is written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. How wonderful is that? Strong men. Then he writes to the fathers and we finish with this. In verse 13 he says, I write to you fathers, why? Because you have known him who is from the beginning. How wonderful is that? 
You fathers now, the mature ones has known him who's from the beginning. And in verse 14 he says, I have written to you fathers because you have known him who is from the beginning and you have known him. You know, we've been preaching about this for the last few weeks. Yes? Do you know him? How well do you know him? You know, Jesus comes to His disciples as they follow Him. He turns back to them one day after He told them He's going to go. He said to them, it's more profitable for you that I go away. They hanged on to Him so much. He was everything for them. And then He said, but I pray the Father and He will send you another comforter. Who's that comforter? The Holy Spirit, the Parakletos. The one who will come along you and strengthen you. He says, and He will be with you. And he will be in you. Before that he said, the world don't have him. Why? Because the world don't know him. And then he uses these words in John chapter 14. But you know him. When he writes this, there is so much written in that word known him. There is knowing because you've studied him. There is knowing Him because of experiencing God. I love old preachers. I love the old preachers of the Word of God. I can quote now one which which really made an impact on my life. Peter Compton, Eugene will know him. A missionary for 38 years was with me in New Zealand. I had the privilege of laying him a rest on the day when he passed on to the other life. And you know what thing that I could sit down with brother Peter Compton. He's 75 years old. He still had a hunger for the Word of God. But you know when I sit down and he start talking about the Word of God, he spoke out of experience. Now that is a father. That is a father. Not what some churches say now, oh father, son, let me become your father. No, no, we've got a father in. I don't want to become your father, but you know we need fathers in the church. Men and women of God. Prayer warriors, if I can use that word. People who pray. You know, a father is somebody who studies his word, who lives by the word, and who prays to God. That's a father. And in the family of God, in this church, we need all three of them. All three. We need little children, and we need that. So how do these men know him? First of all, they've got a general revelation of God. You've heard me say this before, haven't you? They saw God in nature, and they saw the power of God, and they know that God is a strong God. Then they had a special revelation, which is the Word of God. They studied the Word, and out of the Word of God, they realized that we are sinners, and God is a holy God, and then they moved on to a personal relationship. How does that happen? It is because they understood the Word of God, the Holy Spirit made it real to them, and then they accepted that, they acknowledged that, and they, they saw the sin as God sees sin, and He saved their souls. Then they went on <clears throat> from a little child to a young man to a father. How wonderful is that? Where are you this morning? I want to say this in closing. My dear friend, when you come to this church, you just don't come here and you sit in the seat. I'm not going to give you a job to work or it's not about that. You're already in ministry. The moment you are saved, you've got the responsibility of making disciples. Some preach it. There is preachers in the world. You don't have to be a preacher. To make disciples. Have you seen how Jesus did it? 
Did he make his disciples getting out and preach to the masses? Did he fill stadiums out? I wonder, I just wonder this morning if Jesus Christ was in physical body here with us and we got the whole MCG out. I wonder how many people will go. Well, we might fill the whole stadium, but they will come for the sideshow. They would want to see the miracles that Jesus is going to perform. But the biggest miracle of all is when the Spirit of God comes and lives in your heart. We need fathers. We need young men. And we need little children as well. You see the population of Japan. They, uh, they were so hard on their population growth and now they're sitting with a problem. Japan's population is going backwards and as it is going to go backwards, the economy will go backwards. Why? Because they've got an aging population. You go around a lot of churches these days, and I visited a few churches here in Australia, and you found in the churches an aging population. In years, an aging population. And you know what? We can look around as much as we can. I put it down to the ministers who preach the Word of God and to the people in those churches. We, we, we want to have fun stuff for people to attract them. There's only one thing that's going to attract people really. Fun things will bring them. It's like popcorn. It's like fluff. It will disappear. But if, you, if people are going to come in, young people, and they listen to the Word of God, they will become young men and women of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning. Such a simple message this morning, Father. Little children, young men, and fathers.